Welcome aboard, Captain. Welcome back to the Star Trek Minute, the semi-daily podcast where we analyze and discuss Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, one minute at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris LaSalle. I must be your other co-host, David Stoker. Hey, Dave. Hello, Chris. It is Friday. It is. And, yay. Yay. Uh, yeah, and we are joined, uh, closing out the week with us, uh, returning guest Scott Corelli from Dueling Genre Productions. Hey, Scott. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Welcome back. Thanks. Yeah, well, welcome back, man. Yeah. Um, There's just so, so much yeah. to talk about in this. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> There's, there's, there's like miles of dialogue we got to parse in this one. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to get through it all. Oh, yeah. uh, so, all right, let's dive in. Uh, minute 93 of The Search for Spock. Uh, minute 93 starts with Sarek showing McCoy uh, this. Uh, please head this way. Um, and ends with uh, Talar placing her hand on Spock's face. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's pretty much it. You just describe the minute. Star Trek uh, minute. So, yeah. So, I don't know. Sarek, like, I, I, that's a weird gesture of Sarek. Like, please come this way. Your table's right this way. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, he's, he's, he's uh, I guess he's leading McCoy up to the altar. Um, it's although, vaguely major D ish. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he immediately hands him off to a couple of the Vulcan priestesses. A couple of maidens. Yeah. I always find we I find it weird saying maidens. I feel like I'm saying the wrong thing. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's this is where I had had Scott the uh, my note about the the sets. You know, the, you can kind of you know it's supposed to be outside, but definitely get a nice uh, you get, get a nice screen back there, all just painted or lit up to be mm-hmm. the, the background yeah, background of the It's bad, but it's good. I it's nostalgic. Um, can we okay? Can we can we talk about the elephant in the room because. Uh, this uh this okay so i love i love that they cast what appears to be a chinese man as a vulcan so i love that there's different that there's different i love that there's different races in 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 you know as as vulcans like that makes sense right so i i do really love that what i don't love however is that he's the one that's like hitting a gong and is in like a, I've I just very kind of stereotypical Asian attire. It's yeah, that's bad. Uh, that's yeah, not good. That's, that's not good. <laughs> As I've said, the Vulcans are mysterious, and we shouldn't dwell on this too much. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you're right. I completely agree. It's not a good thing. No. <laughs> um. That, but I do like seeing it. I do like seeing a non-Caucasian Vulcan. Yes, exactly. I love that. That's kind of cool. I do not love that they leaned into all the other stereotypes mm. that shouldn't exist on Vulcan. But uh, yeah, I wonder how that stuff gets by, right? I mean, that's, you know, I know it was the '80s, but you know, nobody was like, "Well, wait a minute, this guy looks like we just pulled him off the set of another." In in the '80s, know. I mean, they, I mean, they still called them Orientals. You know, yeah. like, no. like yeah. it was, 
It was, remember the, um, what was that Eddie Murphy movie? Wasn't there an Eddie Murphy movie where he was like saving like a, a golden, uh, uh, was it the yeah, golden child? child? Yeah, the golden child. I mean, yeah. that was the eighties. That might've even been after this. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> this is not a good time for Asian culture and American mm. cinema. Oops. Yeah. Which is, which makes this so much more egregious because why is this Asian culture? It's Vulcan. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, somebody, somebody, uh, costume designer, or I don't know if I want to, if I want to, I want to blame Leonard Nimoy, or if I want to just blame the costume designers, or or what. But uh, this is there's a whole whole mess of things that had to have happened to get this on screen, and I'm baffled by all yeah. of it. Yeah, because there's a good what half a dozen at least different styles of costume just in the scene right mm-hmm. between the both the men and the women mm-hmm. uh, and he's the only one dressed up like this right uh, yeah yep yeah because because Sarek is like vaguely roman looking mm-hmm. um but especially with his haircut and everything mm-hmm. uh but 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 definitely from behind he's got the cape and everything and then you've got uh you know vaguely egyptian stuff going on with the maidens and and the high priestess and then you've got you've got this guy who is uh i just don't understand why they're all based on american cultures like i i really i really like i like the klingons because it really does feel like a different planet yeah sure you know because like nothing really makes any sense uh the way they dress and stuff it doesn't it doesn't seem practical um, and in kind of like a, in a good way, whereas like this, it's like, I can see all of the decisions they're making. It's like, oh, well, this is vaguely an Egyptian sort of uh, ceremony. So we'll, we'll dress them in vaguely Egyptian garb, but then this guy's Asian. So we're going to make him look like a Chinaman. And then, <laughs> and then, and then we've got, we've got Sarek and he's like, uh, he's got sort of, uh, I don't know, like a, like a Caesar vibe to him. So we're going to make him Roman. And it just, it, it's somebody, somebody in the costume department was a lazy uh, is what I think. I think they were, they were leaning too heavily on, on uh, American cultures, using American cultures as like a baseline mm, uh, right. for, for these designs. And that's not what they should be doing. No, absolutely. And it's funny too, because they had other, I mean, there's, there's at least a, at least a couple of other, you know, references they could have gone back to, at least from the original series and from mm-hmm. motion picture, you know, where we've seen things on Vulcan, we've seen ritual on Vulcan, and um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Uh, I'm I'm assuming the uh, so the gentleman here that we're talking about, he's uncredited. He's he doesn't he wasn't in the wasn't listed in the credits. And I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have been credited either if I were him. <laughs> if you wonder now if that was at a conscious thing, like no no don't bother, you don't have to put me in the credits. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. I don't want anyone to see that I was, I was doing this. I, I just feel bad for this guy because he probably showed up so excited he's gonna be in a Star Trek movie, and they're just like, yeah, you're gonna look like this. And I just imagine he looked at himself in the mirror and was just like, oh, this is never gonna end. I'm only gonna be cast like this in, as as Chinaman. Like I, I, I can't imagine because he's probably typecast in all kinds of movies where he has to do this kind of thing. Mm. And then when he gets cast in a Star Trek movie, you just know he was like, oh, finally, finally, I'm not going to have to play a Chinaman. And then he gets the costume and he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping at least the um, 
the hat he's wearing does have some symbology on it. I'm assuming that is that is Vulcan symbology and is not just taken from some other some other film. They just lifted a an Asian outfit and just put the hat on him. I'm assuming that's at least they they went so far as to uh, make it Vulcan. I hope so. <laughs> Uh, the elephant in the room. Thanks for bringing that up, Scott. <laughs> search, I mean, search for Spock's yeah. shame. <laughs> yeah. You know what? This is my least favorite moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I've always kind of, I think my, my brain kind of stops when I see it because I'm just kind of, oh, you know, you know it's wrong, uh-huh. <laughs> but you're like, I don't want to think about it too much. But yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. That's no good. Yeah. You kept you kept mentioning like uh, Sarek's um, outfit and his appearance is very like Romanesque, and I look at the you know combined with the sets, they look very fake, mm-hmm. and with the fire and the and the way they're standing around, it, it just makes me think of like you know uh, like Greek tragedy, like outdoor mm-hmm. performance. Um, you know, it just, this doesn't look like it's, uh, part of a full length major budgeted feature. No, particularly no. this, this, this moment in this time. And I know we've, we've bashed on the movie a lot, Chris, with their handling of the sets and, you know, Genesis and some of the close ups where you could see like the cactus were not quite finished. And, um, <laughs> but this scene just really and I, and I know we want to try and play the game of you know well that's how the original series was so let's you know let's give it the benefit of the doubt but i i the more i watch this scene the more i really am like Ugh, they yeah could have, they could have done better this is that okay so that reasoning that i i i was bringing up a lot is that's the re that's that's how this movie has made its way into my heart Hmm. Is like I can accept it because of that, and I'm just like, oh yeah, it makes it feel like the original series. That is not an excuse. This is a this is a poorly constructed movie, um, and it's and it's made <laughs> by a first time director who doesn't know what he's doing, uh, and was only given the job of the of of directing the movie because it was the only way they could get him to come back. Right. Um. Yeah. I you know let's not let's not mince words here. Like he's. <laughs> He doesn't Leonard Nimoy. I, I, you know, he obviously learned a lot here. I think that Voyage Home looks better. Um, cinematically. Well, I, think, I think he definitely learned a lot from this particular movie and applied probably a lot of the things he learned, the mistakes he made, and changed a lot. Yeah, I think that I think the setting helps too. I mean, a movie in contemporary time is probably easier to make than a bunch of sets. True. Very true. And I, I don't think – I mean, I'm pretty sure he he went from that to like three men and a baby. So he really overcorrected yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on that whole that whole thing. Um, but I, I, I just – I look at this movie and like doesn't Search for Spock have a larger budget than Wrath of Khan? Yeah, it did, but it wasn't. It wasn't like you know. It was maybe like a few million more. It wasn't like a you know a doubling of the of the of the prior film. Sure, um, but the prior film looks like a movie. Yeah, it's and it, it does. Yeah, <laughs> this but one they were, you know, they not were, so much. Yeah, but they were mostly constrained to you know they were the bridge sets and you know so those are that's true. But you know even when they were on you know uh, SETI Alpha Five, that scene 
combined with some of the special effects looked pretty good, pretty convincing that they were on another planet that, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and, and they used practical, simple effects. I mean, they filled the room with sand, got a bunch of air machines and blew the right. sand around <laughs> and there you go. I mean, here, that's, it's, that's what happens when you have a, 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 a an actual professional director, mm-hmm. someone who should be directing a Star Trek movie directing a star trek movie like they 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 know the tricks to make their cheap sets not look cheap and leonard nimoy doesn't know those tricks because he just showed up to set and acted he probably didn't understand why they were doing the things that they were doing and he wasn't on set every day you know like he wasn't on set for the days that they shot at uh you know the the seti alpha 5 stuff right Right. So, so he wouldn't have known, like he wouldn't have been, been there to be able to ask, like, why are you blow? Why are you doing the sand thing? He probably didn't even think very critically about it. Uh, and so when, you know, they offered him the directorial gig on this, I, I mean, I think, I think he does really great stuff with the characters, but his technique as a director yeah. isn't there. Yeah, I, a couple a couple of thoughts there is you know, and we've definitely called it out that the the lighting that there's a there's a lot of I'm going to say dramatic lighting, but not in a probably a good way. Uh, some really odd lighting lighting choices of different sets, and it's very like uh, the, like the Klingon bridge was you know purples and reds, and uh, and you got these very discrete colors colored lighting on even the Enterprise bridge in a couple of scenes, and it was it was enough so you notice it now, and, and I think we. I don't know if you said it, Dave, or I did. It was, you know, kind of made some of the sets look like a, if you were riding the Star Trek ride at Disney. You know, they they recreate <laughs> the sets and they light them in a in a in a different way that's not quite what you expect. You know, you get some of that. Yeah. Um, so I agree that you know maybe maybe Nimoy just didn't have a good sense for how you light things so they look more real. True. And it, and I think to Scott's point, I think he definitely figured it out for Voyage Home. I mean, he completely went back, redesigned the bridge and made it look more functional than what I think they used in this movie. Yep. And I think just that sort of thing. The, the other, the other note I, or the other thought I had was, um, and we actually see it, I think a little bit in this, in this minute is his use of close-ups. Um, there's been a, a few scenes in the, in the film where he does kind of these, almost extreme close-ups of people's, you know, eyes or their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and uh, obviously a conscious choice, right? He was doing that for a reason, whether it was, was for dramatic effect, but, but just, you know, based on what we're talking about now, you know, do you think maybe he was also like, oh, this set looks terrible. Let me just do close-ups. <laughs> you know, was he doing it to compensate for um, it's... what he saw as a, it's it's entirely possible. I also I just looked up and I don't know if you've talked about him before, but the uh the director of photography um was Charles Carell who primarily worked in television. Mm-hmm. So, uh his only two feature film credits that I can find are uh Search for Spock and before that he did the cinematography for uh Animal House. That's that's it. Oh that's the only two movies that I can see that he was a director of photography on, um, which explains a lot. I yeah. the the idea. Oh, I'm sorry. He was also the cinematographer on Revenge of the Nerds Two: Nerds in Paradise. Well, um, but <laughs> yeah, that classic. Uh, I, I, so <laughs> it it baffles me that the studio, the Paramount, 
gave the gave Star Trek three to uh, a director who had never directed a movie before and then saddled him with a cinematographer that wasn't comfortable on film either was a mm. primarily a, a TV cinematographer, which back then was a very different kind of thing. Um, so I, I'm just usually the trick is, okay, you're going to, you're going to give an actor their first time doing a directing gig. You're going to saddle them with a really experienced cinematographer so that, you know, things like the lighting stuff that you're talking about, they're not, you know, the cinematographer is the one that makes all those decisions and then, you know, gets final right. approval from the director, but they're the ones making those decisions. And in this case, it's, it's two people who don't know what they're doing being like, does this look good? I guess let's <laughs> shoot it. Uh, and that's not where you want to be. That's just right. letting the, that's, that's, oh man, that's letting the, the, the mad men run the nut house. You know, that's not right. That's not what you want. Um, it's, I'm kind of, I'm really baffled by, uh, the behind the scenes, uh, scenario that the, that, that Paramount set themselves up for here. Um, doesn't really I, make I any sense. Much, yeah, I wonder how much of that is still Harv Bennett too, right? So Harv Bennett's whole background was in TV, uh, so he's probably you know in some ways. Oh yeah, I know a guy, right? Ugh. We can bring him on, and you know, so maybe he's that. Maybe that. Maybe that's contributing to it. Um, I wanted to see you know just talking about budget and stuff like the line items of you know did they spend you know fifty percent of their budget on you know the spaceship special effects, you know, and 10% of the budget on the sets. So, you know, how, I wonder how that all broke down. Um, like where did, where was, where did they spend the money? Cause yeah, it's definitely, you can definitely tell that you can tell the times when they, where they didn't spend it. The, the majority of the money was probably spent on the cast to be completely honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. cause just, just, just for the sake of it being a really big cast, um, and right. you know they yeah. were all they're all getting uh, raises for this movie, um, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's probably. I mean, I I would venture a guess and say at least forty five percent of the budget was probably spent on on uh, just paying cast members, and so then that leaves everything else for special effects and sets and yeah, uh, yeah not they don't they don't have all that all that motion picture uh, b-roll to use <laughs> no <laughs> this time around so uh, well i'm 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 i just I, I guess we're lucky the movie turned out as well as it did yes <laughs> just can't, when you thoroughly think about all this stuff yeah uh, right yeah so uh back to the minute um there's a there's a lot of people in this scene, uh, a lot of background characters, and we've been talking about um, uh, the maidens. So it's kind of a good shot of them. I think when they're when they're moving McCoy, are they moving him? Is that what they're doing? Um, yeah, because they're sliding him over to Talar. Um, and so I did I did a little research. Uh, most of these women are uncredited um, again, uh, but a couple of them. Um, uh, one of one of the the maidens is played by uh, Deborah. Dilly, um, and she's actually gone on to do, as we've seen in a lot of these kind of background characters, she's done other stuff in Star Trek as well. So she was a, she played a Romulan in the Next Generation. Uh, she played an ensign in the Next Generation in a, in a bunch of episodes. So um, we've got some repeat performances here. Um, thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, 
And I had, this is kind of random. I, I wanted to mention when we first started talking about Talar, um, there is uh, one of the one of the pieces of kind of pre-season prep, prep I did was I read the, the novel uh, Vulcan's Heart, um, which tells the, it kind of has a tie-in to uh, Search for Spock and the kind of the big question in the Search for Spock around Pond Far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the... <laughs> The, the framing the, the the framing of the Vulcan's heart story is Spock and Savick uh, get married um, yep. and Talar is the person who officiates the the wedding ceremony oh boy am I glad that didn't happen yes yeah. <laughs> yeah it's um yeah it's I, I the book was clever in that it 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 linked into a bunch of stuff, uh, a bunch of other Star Trek canon. Um, so obviously, you know, the kind of I- I implying what we all, the big question mark we had about what happened between Savick and Spock in this film uh, off camera. Um, and it has some tie-ins to the next generation because um, there's some, you know, references. I think Picard actually, Picard actually mentions to Sarek that he was, he was at, Spock's wedding. He's like, I was at the wedding of your son. So that scene, that's all you know, tied in together. So Picard is there, uh, and, there's a, and there's a couple mm-hmm. other things with the Enterprise C and stuff. So it's the, the book is clever in that it, it weaves together, it weaves into the the, the official canon, um, and and they don't go too deep on you know uh, Savick and Spock being married, other than they just find you know it's uh, you know this it's not this the romantic love part of it, but just the, you know, companionship and the, 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 the peace they feel around one another. It's, it, it's, it's one of those things, again, they leave it vague, which is, which is good. <laughs> Cause I didn't think I want, you know, I don't want to see, you know, Savick and Spock arguing over the dinner table after they're married for a few years, you know, they don't get into <laughs> that level of discussion. It's just more of this kind of vague, almost describing a generic wedding between two Vulcans, but it happened to be Spock and, and Savick. Um, so anyway, just want to call it out. It was, a, it was a tidbit. It was some homework. Would I recommend the book? Sure. It's, it's, it's fun. Like again, for, for what it is, but um, more Talar tidbits. There you go. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I love how, uh, how eighties McCoy's outfit is. <laughs> All brown. We, we love McCoy's outfit. Yeah, no, it's it's the best. I, I love the paisley cravat. Right, mm-hmm. is that what that is. <laughs> yeah. So they still have paisleys in the twenty third century. I I like the idea that McCoy just dresses like slightly out of fashion, or or I guess way out of fashion. Maybe he's just like a weirdo who dresses like he's in the eighties. <laughs> he's fascinated <laughs> with those times, so he just like you know. Like yeah. people dressing up like hippies today, you know, they're in from the 60s. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Back when everyone wore brown because everyone's, everyone smoked everywhere. And so you just wore brown to cover up the, <laughs> the smoke stains everywhere. Um, that's what I always think of. All right. So I have one other piece of add on to this moment, the very end of the, the minute when, she puts her hand on McCoy's face when Talar puts her hand on McCoy's face and Spock's face. Um, there's uh, in the novelization, Bond and McIntyre's uh, novelization. Um, this is a, this is a, a major event for McCoy and they don't really do anything here. And you don't see any reaction or anything from McCoy. Um, 
but a novelization says Talar stroked her fingers across his temple. Her touch was like fire, and he gasped. An alien consciousness mm. stirred deep within his mind, terror-stricken. He struggled against it. Um, and then uh, the voice he hears is, yes, strive, fight, employ the power of thine alien emotions. Rest back thy life. So I'm assuming that's Talar with these and thines. And, um, but yeah, so this, this whole, it, the implication she makes in the film of this is dangerous to both you and Spock, um, the film doesn't really show us that. They just tell us that, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. I appreciate Ivana giving a little bit of, you know, the experience of what McCoy is actually going through, that it's not an easy an easy thing that he's about to do or, or what happens to him. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. She was talking about how this whole thing is illogical because they've never done it before and it still didn't stop her from doing it. I don't. Back to the logic again. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're Vulcans. It's all they have. Um, uh, all right. So that was, that was how I was going to wrap things up, but I don't know. Do you have any other, any other comments on, on, on the minute itself? That uh, that that close up on uh, on the high priestess uh, there at the end of the minute is uh, not great. Not a great close up. Her chin is out of focus. Her chin is out of focus. Yeah. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Oh yeah. But they did a good job with the ears, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I am impressed that you never see like you know the seam or anything. <laughs> the ears always generally look pretty good. Hmm. So Scott, here's a here's a question that this is the this is like the question I. I had, I've asked, I think all the guests we've had on, and it's, I'm still asking it myself. <clears throat> Star mm-hmm. Trek Three: The Search for Spock, does it just negate everything that we got out of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan? Like, what, what, what's your sense of, you know, if you walk, if you finish watching Search for, if you watch Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock back to back, what are you walking away from? Like, what was the point of The Wrath of Khan? You know, Spock's back at the end of this one. You know, do, 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 do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I don't know. I mean, for me, for me, it's the family thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and so, I, you know, I, I like, I, 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 it doesn't, I don't think it takes anything away from Wrath of Khan that Spock comes back because this isn't Spock, Spock that comes back. Um, you know, like he's got to relearn some stuff mm-hmm. and uh, it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole process uh, for him. And, and he, he basically, um, uh, you know, he, he gets like a crash course in, I don't know, 30 years of friendship in over the course of two movies. Um, right. But uh, this isn't, this isn't their Spock that comes back. It's sort of like uh, Groot and baby Groot, you know? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Well, that's definitely um, some stuff I wanted to talk about as we go to the next films. Is you know, Spock is Spock, Spock. You know, the one we right. the one we knew. Right. Um, yeah. So I I I I don't think it I don't think it does I don't think it, it robs anything of um, Wrath of Khan because I I don't think that this new Spock is the Spock that died in Wrath of Khan. I think it's uh, something else. I like I said the the Groot baby Groot situation baby yeah <laughs> great yeah. baby Groot right. Spock yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough all right yeah um well cool uh Dave what about you any other any other parting thoughts on minute 93 
I do not. I do not have any right. parting thoughts. Well, Scott, we uh, really appreciate you having you back on the show and uh, helping us yeah. get. Uh, we're almost near the end, which I think is you know what you helped us out with last yes. time. <laughs> so uh, appreciate you having having you back. Um, do you want to share one last time where folks can find you online and all your various projects? Sure. Um, so duelinggenre.com is uh, my podcast network <clears throat> and production company. And um, if you go there, you can check out all the podcasts that we have there. Uh, I've already mentioned a few of the podcasts that I've been on. And uh, my last one I'll mention is that I've got um, a new season of Spider-Man Minute coming up. Uh, we covered the, the first film uh, in its entirety uh, last year. Uh, myself and my my co-host Zach Luna, and uh, we'll be back to cover Spider-Man Two uh, in a few weeks. I think is uh, when we're gonna we're gonna be launching that. So very cool. Um, yeah, nice. so it's uh, very exciting. You know, Spider-Man Two seems to be most people's favorite Spider-Man movie, and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun covering it so far as we've been uh, recording episodes. And uh, yeah, you guys you guys helped us close down the first season of that show too. Um, That's right. yeah. yeah, so <laughs> become a ritual. Yeah, I know. It seems that way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll definitely, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch for, for Spider-Man two to get you guys on that as well. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. It's, it's the one that is, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more, uh, I guess, uh, extracurricular material, uh, for Spider-Man than there was for things like, you know, back to the future and the Cornetto movies. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a, it's a different kind of show and it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to do. Um, Zach and I love Spider-Man and, uh, if you like Spider-Man, I would recommend checking it out. And if you just like, I don't know, learning about how to make these like crazy big budget movies, big bug budget blockbuster movies. Um, we talk about that a lot. We just talk about like what this process is like making these movies. And it's, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun uh, talking about, you know, adaptation and why certain decisions are made versus other decisions. And, um, you know, Spider-Man sort of stands as the, uh, the mm. final, series those sam raimi spider-man movies feel like the final series of uh, adaptations in that style where they're not adapting any particular uh you know they're not they're not worried about being adaptations as much as they are worried about being movies on their own yeah yeah um, yeah and uh and it was kind of the last stand of that type of comic book movie uh before um you know iron man came out and changed everything so uh, so we talk about that a lot as well. Mm. Um, it's interesting. We don't know if we're going to go beyond Spider-Man three. Uh, we're we're going to cover that next year, and then we're going to make a decision of whether or not we're going to keep going after that. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, for now, we're we're covering the Sam Raimi movies, and it's been a lot of fun. So go check that out, uh, Dueling Genre, and then you can find me. I'm on uh, Twitter at Scott Corelli. Excellent. And yeah, I think uh, you know it's it's Friday, so we usually like to. Um, uh, do the you know the, the follow Friday and and just mention do a shout out to uh, Pete the retailer and Alex Robinson over at Star Wars Minute they're the the, the boys that uh, got this whole juggernaut of movies by minutes podcast going um, I'm actually uh, looking at moviesbyminutes.com right now where they catalog. Uh, uh, all the podcasts and at the time of this recording they're up to there's 89 films or 89 really. Uh, series right uh, that wow. are being 
uh, franchises that are being uh, worked on. The most recent one, which I'm actually very excited about, is Flash Gordon Minute. Um, mm-hmm. That was one of those films yeah. that I was a little too young to see it. And I still like, there's moments there were like scary moments in that movie for me as like a nine-year-old. I was like, ah, that still uh, grossed me out. <laughs> but I love that movie. Um, so yeah, I should definitely, uh, if you've got a favorite movie, uh, you should definitely head on over to moviesbyminutes.com. Uh, uh, most likely there is a minutes by minute, a movies by minute podcast happening right now for one of your favorite films. Um, so, uh, yeah. So yeah, let's, uh, let's wrap it up boys. Let's head out for the weekend. Um, thanks again, Scott. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, Dave and I'll be back again next week talking about minute 94, uh, of the search for Spock here at the Star Trek minute. Bye now. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>